Welcome to Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn Tracy and here is Matt Leach. Hello, how are you? I'm good. We're, I feel like we're in the middle of nature. We're just, we are. You can hear, you might be able to hear the birds um, yeah. whistling. In and the, the whippersnippers whippering. Yeah, and buses. and Because we're actually in Kilvelli, so and we're, we're on the road again in a, in a kind of mini way yeah. uh, with our new kit. Uh, so we are able to actually go to places. Yep. Uh, so thank you to Streamtime because without their support, we wouldn't have been able to do this uh, and find ourselves today at Nyopar's studio in Cavelli. Uh So hello, Nayo. How are you? Hi, Matt. How are you going? <laughs> Good. So who is Nyopar? Uh So self-described business lady, illustrator, multidisciplinary designer, curator, teacher and founder of Make Nice. She works with clients such as New York Times, Thames and Hudson, Red Bull, and she teaches, at, teaches design at UTS. Strong supporter of design and particularly women in design. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Finally. I know. We, we have been, been trying to do this. Or yeah. like that. I'm really glad <laughs> to not have to like grab your name and put it into a new spreadsheet. Yeah. Yes. We can just, finally tick it off. It's been one of those things like, no, I know exactly how to spell your name. You know how you just it's have good, like you're the only one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that, uh, today was my first time. I like typed it in. I was like, ah, oh, didn't even have to look. Got I think, it right. <laughs> I think just about every talk I've seen you give, or you know, any, it's like okay, it's spelt Nio. I think was that in your is that in your yeah. email signature? Yeah, it's in it my is. Signature. Yeah, I always nice. love that. I love that idea because I get hi Tracy, how are you all the time, <laughs> and then they're like devastated when I'm when this it's like wrong. guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you sounded so pretty in your emails with your exclamation marks. But yeah, I really like that. Just I have to do it all the time. So I'll just sneak it in there and maybe people yeah. will pick up on how to pronounce it. It's it's actually been really helpful. I've only done it for the past year, but I get I have a much higher percentage of correct pronunciation. Nice. Not that I really care. I'll, I'll answer to pretty much anything. Mm. <laughs> Where does it come from? Um, Nayo is a Maori name. Mm-hmm. I'm not Maori, but my mother's wedding dressmaker's name was Nayo. And she pocketed she liked it, it. Yeah. yeah, for for me, lucky me. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so we met properly, like when we first, I guess, tried to do this was quite a while ago at Adobe Max in San Diego. Yeah, where we were over there as reporters, doing this, <laughs> which is kind of ridiculous. But and you were there as an influencer. No, no, I you was weren't. There as Media, apparently. Oh, you were media um, as well? Yeah. Yeah, we all had a media pass, remember? Uh, okay. Yeah. No, I thought you were an you influencer. Had, you had way more things you had to do. I, I kind of accidentally got off really lucky and pretty much just had to go <laughs> and watch everything, which was great. I have seen everything. Job done. Yeah. Mm. Tick. Well, I just want to get stuck straight into your illustration work and what, yes. you, what you do these days. So we had you down as multidisciplinary designer. Um, <laughs> you look at your work and there's quite a lot of illustration there. Um, So what is it exactly that you do day to day? I mean, we're we're here in your studio, but... Yeah, today, actually, I did uh, a little bit of teaching and I'm currently rebranding a Australian beauty brand, um, which is very fun. But any each day it could be illustration. I do a lot of kind of editorial illustrations, so spot kind of illustrations. I've said illustration a lot. And then I mostly... uh, in the design sphere, it's mostly print stuff. So I do um, publication design, uh, branding, um, any kind of print design. I'm I'm all about that. Uh, I do a little bit of set design, um, a bit of curating, uh, and I think that's it. 
Now, how do you do? You have separate clients for each of those things, or do you do you have a business card with all those things on, or do certain uh, clients know you for one certain thing? I'm very bad at actually explaining what I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I often kind of just end up rambling a little bit. I'm very bad at that elevator pitch concept. It's kind of hard to squeeze into a sentence. But what I think actually ties it all together, which is why I like doing all of those things, is that it's all the same actual kind of thought process. It's all creative problem solving. It's just yep. different mediums. And w- when I started design and was doing just print design I I got really bored very quickly I have quite a short attention span so being able to kind of do a bit of illustration in the morning learn how to do um, set design for a project um, it's the same skills it's just using different paint essentially yeah I find it's interesting you throw in learning there because I know you're an avid learner and you love kind of digging into something new what are you learning at the moment? I have a great book that my friend Aidy Goodrich um, lent to me while we're, I was just in Santa Barbara with her. It's called The Anatomy of Colour and it's the history of colour from the 1600s on um, mostly through uh, architectural like interior house paint. Sounds very dry, but uh, it's really, really interesting. Lots of amazing colour palettes and things like um, the colour pink didn't exist. It was light red. Pink was actually a tone of yellow uh, until the, I think it was the mid-70s. Pink, right, pink really? wasn't a thing. It's just a tone of yellow. So things like that um, that maybe aren't that what, useful. What did all the princesses wear? They wore light red, <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> also, I'm trying... I've got my first job ever with this branding client that I'm doing. I'm doing a lot of styling and art directing for their shoots, which is something that, again, are skills that I've maybe used in different ways, but not like at a photo shoot, um, making props and things like that. So that's um, terrifying, but exciting uh, all at once. You definitely seem to be kind of the, from what we know of you as well, someone that throws herself in the deep end all the time so that's not shocking to me at all that you would just do something (laughs) like that yeah um from the conference that we'll obviously talk about um and some pretty interesting projects one that we kind of wanted to talk about uh, which was for the new york times um was that reverse kkk suit i know that it's very difficult to explain in audio form yeah (laughs) i know you might have to go to my website to see a picture of it at least yeah okay so i was very excited because i got to talk meet my favorite art director who worked at the New York Times at that time. I met her in New York. She told me about this project that she was doing, which was creating costumes or inventing costumes that you would wear at a KKK rally to protest the KKK rally and their costume. Um, Because at the time, unfortunately, Trump had just uh, gotten into power and the first public KKK rally was going on um, maybe for 35 years or something like that. Thank you, Trump. So I told her what my idea would be, which was to create an exact replica but clear of the KKK costume because the KKK costume stands for anonymity. Um, They can do whatever they want and, and have no retaliation because no one can see who they are. And the opposite of that is about openness and and love and individuality, which um, are the polar opposites of 
of the, what the KKK stands for. Um, and that was all great. I went back to my hotel, went to the uh, airport and I got an email saying, yep, great. Could you do that, please? That would be great. <laughs> also, it can't actually be illustration. It has to be photo illustration. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Yep, I can do that. And could you have it by Tuesday? And I was like, uh, yep, I can do that. I got back on I left on Saturday, so I got back on Monday morning. So I had to have it in by Wednesday morning, Australia time. I'd never sewn a costume. I'd never figured out how a pattern works. I'd never hired a photographer, <laughs> found a model, found a space to shoot anything. Um, so I had, what's that, like 48 hours to figure all of that out whilst also being hideously jet lagged. Mm. But the um, satisfaction that you feel when you're sending <laughs> that out and you've done it is just like nothing else. You know, if you were doing that and had done it maybe 20 times before, you'd probably feel good, but I felt great. Um, and it was the kind of my dream client at the time as well. So just for a bit of extra pressure. Um, but I think it means that you're working really hard and you, you're trying your best to get the best outcome when there's a bit of pressure kind of in there. So if you'd had more time, is there anything you would change? Because, I mean, it's a brilliant piece. No, I don't think so. And I, I think that also helps um, if you have like a short timeline or a bit of pressure. It means that you don't spend, you know, days thinking <laughs> about... You know, agonising about... Yeah. I'm not very... De- I'm not a particularly decisive person. So <laughs> having to make that decision quickly... Um, I think is really important. There's this bit of um, this quote that is in a White Stripes documentary that I always kind of tell my students and they roll their eyes about um, the less, kind of, the more restrictions that you put on yourself, the more creative you can be. If you put yourself inside a tiny box and only give yourself a few options, you have to create within that. So you don't spend your time choosing what colour in the palette if you only get two colours in the palette. So that's already chosen for you. And I guess um, Jack White in that analogy was talking about like he he has a drummer, guitar, vocals. He has two colours. He has, you know, a guitar that is old and goes out of tune all the time. And those are restrictions that help him create the most creative outcome. If he had every instrument, every colour, every musician, it would just make it a lot harder for him to create. Yeah. I want to take you back now. So um, what people probably don't realise about you is you've actually done two degrees, one arts degree and one design degree. Yeah. I was interested what the difference was between those two. Uh, To to be honest, I feel like the fine arts degree made me a better designer than the design degree. Um, The fine arts degree was that I did. across Australia. There's design students <laughs> pulling out of their courses. Um, this is where all that attrition is going to come from yeah. in the next in the, uh, <laughs> government report. Yes, the NIO report. Oh God. Um, my my fine arts degree was very open um, learning. It was a studio classes, so it wasn't like I go in and do ceramics and that's all I learn is ceramics. If I actually went in doing photography and I came out drawing and doing video work because it's very it it really creates an environment where you have to self-direct your learning and you have to teach yourself um, any kind of technical skills Um, the teachers were there for kind of critical analysis and discussion and um, and theoretical discussions but they weren't there to help you learn a computer program Mm -hmm. um, or how to you know spin clay or whatever that's called so that really embedded in me that 
kind of self-learning drive, which I think is why now I do so many kind of different things or even if I'm not doing it, them in work, I'm always wanting to learn things because I get quite bored if I'm not kind of using that part of my brain all the time. Um, and because it was self-directed, the more you put in, the more you, you got yeah. out of it. And that is something that I think a lot of students now don't quite comprehend maybe until the end of their degree. Um, it's like a coast on you know, for the first couple of years and mm. see how you go. Um, the design degree was maybe not at the best university, um, but I did organise to do an exchange at the Rhode Island School of Design and that was amazing. Um, it was the complete opposite of my fine arts degree. It was extremely technical, very detail-orientated. I learnt a lot of typographic skills that they just don't teach here because they don't have the time. Yeah. Um, and those things I use, you know, every day. Yeah. So that, I guess it was the polar opposites of those two types of learning mm. um, that I think were really useful. So which came first, the art degree? Fine arts, yeah. Right. So I yeah, fine arts degree, visual arts and music minor. And then um, the design degree was while I was already working full time as a curator. Mm. Yeah. So how long were you at RISD for? Um, just one semester, yeah, because it is really Sounds like expensive. it had a pretty big impact on you. It right? did. It's really expensive. Yeah. yeah. That's a good reason. Yeah, it's very expensive. <laughs> I ran out of money. Yeah. They um, they took me on a tour through their master's program, um, which they take like 10 people or something. Yeah. And like, oh, we could give you a scholarship, a $100,000 scholarship. And I was like, holy crap, that's amazing. It's like, it only costs... I think it was 250000 or something. I'm like, wow, wow, that's still a wow. lot of money. <laughs> and I, it's still design. I'm not going to be able to like get that back anytime soon. Right. Um, yeah, it was an amazing um, place to learn. And they really, like there was teachers there, very small classes. It's mm. just the time that you kind of can't get in, a, in an Australian university, I don't think. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So you leave uni after all that. Now, I've read and we've talked about uh, your time when you were leaving, graduating, looking for work. Yeah. And you had a bit of a realisation at that point where you realised that potentially you were holding yourself to other people's um, ideas of success. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because... Yeah. Um, so when I finished, so that second degree was in Brisbane um, and my now husband got a job in Sydney so we drove down to Sydney and moved here uh, also there's more design jobs in Sydney as well so I thought it was a good move after graduating I was offered two kind of agency jobs at big agencies my tutors at the time were um, super thrilled for me and were like this is the job that you're meant like this is the one that you want when you're a graduate which was great and I felt really excited to have that opportunity but then I went in for an interview at one of the places and um I just didn't feel like it was somewhere I wanted to work the atmosphere there the kind of community there seemed very strange and, and not really what I value in my life I really want to know where this place is yeah I'll tell you later. Later. <laughs> um, and I also, I think maybe because I'd already been working for f like five or six years as a curator, I, I'm very, and because I was doing a full-time degree at the same time, I'm a very productive 
person. I work very fast. And um, some of the places that I started working for, um, because I started just freelancing at studios to see what I did want then, Mm -hmm. if it wasn't what everyone was telling me I wanted. And they really, I really seemed to be, it seemed to be detrimental that I was um, kind of working efficiently. People would get rewarded for staying late. People would get rewarded for doing like endless um, iterations of the same logo with a slightly different weight or something like that. Mm. Um, and I would often, you know, do do what I, what had been asked of me and then have to slowly do versions that I knew weren't as good right. so that mm. I didn't look strange in that kind of app environment. Yeah. Um, and it was also very competitive. I didn't think that... Um, it doesn't really make sense to me to work somewhere where you are like competition is great, but not to the point where you're kind of undercutting other people's confidence at that studio. Within the the same studio. Within that studio. Yeah. 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 Um, Was it competition in regards to the the quality of work coming out? Or was it competition in regards to who's here until 9 PM every night? uh, Mostly the second. The latter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was like personality. Yeah. 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 I think so. And it just didn't make sense to me. I I think it was because I was maybe a little bit older. Um, I had a lower tolerance for bullshit maybe. And coming from the fine arts field where bullshit is like the original language of the, fi- you know, <laughs> I, I can out bullshit you, you know, so, so don't try it. Um, and I think that being older, um, walking into this environment where I, I automatically kind of felt like I was being judged for things that, you shouldn't be judged for. Um, and just the fact that I, at that time I was starting to develop what my own personal values were and I would come in every day and kind of see the work that I was doing was not aligning with those values mm-hmm. at all. Um, like a lot of, like at one studio, there was a lot of photo retouching, which I know is a reality, but there would be like beautiful 18 year old women that had been, photographed and they look absolutely flawlessly stunning um but there'd be 10 people around that photo circling how horrible her eyes looked and how sallow her skin looked and things like that and it was which i know i understand as a reality but i didn't want to contribute it doesn't have to be your reality yeah Yeah. Mm. i don't know if that answered your question but no no it did it it, it totally did and i guess you know from from there how long until you started your own thing. Um, after after freelancing for some studios, which I should also say some were amazing. They weren't all horrible. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed working at, at a lot of studios that I freelanced at. Um, but then I took a job that everyone in design told me was a death knell on my career, which was as the graphic designer at Triple J. So I worked there for a bit over a year. And um, there's a... There's a pervasive thought that if you work in-house for any company, you're pretty much not a great designer or you're not doing any interesting work. Do you think that still stands now? I don't know because I'm so far removed mm. from I it. I think the stigma exists now still. Really? Yeah. 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 I'm not saying it's true. No, no, no. no. Absolutely. Right. I guess I'm asking whether the stigma still exists. Yeah. I, mean, think so. I think so. There's some amazing people working in-house. Absolutely. You know, if you think about Google, yeah. Facebook or, you know, all that. But maybe, like, maybe not if you're at Google, but I think most other in-house jobs it's like your te- your downgrade yeah you're not as good as an agency designer um which is not true but it 
also was the first place that I worked since I had been in design where I loved going to work every day and everyone was really kind and and nice and respectful. No, sorry, it wasn't the only one, but, you know, it, I'd stayed there for quite a, you know, mm. a year or so. And um, even though the work wasn't that exciting, I wasn't learning all the time, which is why we, you know, didn't stay that long. But um, it was just nice to be reminded that you're actually meant to in, enjoy going to work. Yeah. Um, and that kind of made me reevaluate things and with absolutely no cushion, uh, start working for myself. Yeah. So what was that? What was your first kind of foray into working for yourself? I, I, I honestly can't remember. Okay. And I think that it actually is like... <laughs> I've blocked it a, from my mind. Yeah, like, a, like when women give birth and can't remember how painful it is. <laughs> I feel like maybe... It's something like that. I, I have zero memories. Just from selective least. memory. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm sure it was great. Uh, <laughs> I, I doubt that it was great. But um, I, I can't even, I was trying to remember for a, a talk recently and I think it's just been voided from my memory. Maybe one day it'll come rushing back to you. Yeah, I'll be in a therapist's chair and yeah. like doing some hypnotherapy. It'll come back to me or something. <laughs> so we, t- we talked all about the different things that you do. How do you, do you have like a, system where you're like i haven't really done any curation for a long time i should probably do some of that or is it more just flowing where you feel you're needed at that time no it's just kind of what comes in the door and whether i feel like doing it Mm -hmm. i should probably be doing it like that i have with the exception of one illustration promotion that i've sent out i've never actively looked for work um which sounds great but it also is something that i should be starting to do um being proactive kind of searching for the work that i want right um particularly with illustration so yeah it's not a planned thing um which is kind of what i like about it that i'm not i don't know what my next job will be um and i think after freelancing and liking that kind of learning continuous learning curve i actually kind of get a bit sad when I have all my jobs planned for six months because (laughs) it's too predictable which is kind of psychopathic but yeah I like not knowing what's coming next yeah Mm. um and how do you get most of your work you said like what comes through the door but I mean not really through the door. yeah not really there is well there is a door but you're not invited to it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um but, it, I mean, you have quite a vast network through, like, a lot of the things that you've done. Do you find you get work through there or do you get work through other means? I should know that, but I don't. What I do know that I find kind of strange is that maybe 85% of my work is American. Um, almost no one in Australia hires me. <laughs> Why do you suppose that is? I think part of it is that Australia, in general, has a bit more of a hang-up of being a specialist. Right. Um, so it's like a, maybe there's a bit of an assumption of like master of none, um, right. which is changing and you, it, it doesn't really exist in, in America at all. In fact, it's very much a generalist field there, but I think that still is kind of pervasive. Uh, I think, I think they're definitely, I think, I think what you're saying has some truth in it because I think people in Australia really respect someone who is a master of something mm, and mm. that's kind of what you you look to get to or to attain? Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Um, but at the same time, I also fervently disagree. Like, I, mm. I think that 
I think that my interests and my my knowledge in different fields actually makes me better at each one of those fields. Um, not being 5,000% immersed into book design means that I'm not going to recreate something that I already yeah. know is existing or I won't have this. Every project is a blank slate because it's I don't have a particular style that I always use. I don't, people don't come to me for the thing that I do that looks exactly like that. I mm-hmm. hope, I hope I don't have a style like that. Um, which the downs, the major downside is that it's hard to market that. Mm-hmm. And I think particularly the Australian market, not being a specialist market gets confused by that. Um, which is why most of my work I think comes from America. Um, but hey, if you want to hire me in Australia, <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> have you ever considered with, you know, I guess in regards to the illustration work specifically, have you ever considered like representation as well? Yes, I have. I'm currently talking to a few agents in America, mainly because that's where all my work is coming yeah. from. So it makes sense. Um, the, the bonus of a, an agent for me, what they can do that I can't do is those agency clients. Like I, I can't get 72 and Sunny, mm. but an illustration agent can get that kind of work for me. Yeah. Um, so that that is what I would be looking for. And it makes sense to go where people are already hiring me, I think. Yeah, that yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. We talked a, uh, a little bit about, you know, what you do in a day. Yeah. Um, but there was a great quote that I read uh, from you, which was asking you about what the secret to a successful day of work is. And you said starting early and knowing when to stop, which yeah. really resonated with me because I, I love to start early and I love to get, but I have trouble knowing when to stop. Yeah. Is that, is that what you were kind of getting at in that? Yeah. I, I think um, when you work for yourself and you love what you do. And when I first started working for myself, I was working way longer than I was at any agency because I loved it. Mm. And I have a really supportive husband who would do all the things that I wasn't doing because I was working so hard. But it also, you also burn out doing that really quickly. Um, And I have a tendency to burn out quite a lot. Um, So it's learning how to manage that. And, And I guess when I started freelancing, especially if you're working from a home studio or something where you get to plan all of your hours creating a routine is really important and figuring out what your routine actually a routine that works for you mm-hmm. so I did a lot of like testing out when I first started I thought that I was a night owl when I first started working for myself um, so I started doing that that wasn't working so well I changed um, the order that I did things and now I have a really strict kind of routine that if I'm working um, from my studio, I I always follow. So I wake up early, I take my dog for a walk, I do Pilates, I have a really long leisurely breakfast, put on music, put on real clothes, um, which is very important. And um, (laughs) I've also found that putting on real clothes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) Track fans are great, but it doesn't help the productivity. It's hard to get into the mindset, isn't it? Yeah. Then I I tackle one, like the hardest thing that I don't want to do. And I do that for like a big block, two or three hours. That's my one thing that needs to get done in the day. Then I have lunch uh, and in the afternoon, my brain is kind of gone after 2.30. Um, so I do emails, you know, invoices, stuff that doesn't require yeah. my creative kind of thinking brain. But figuring that out, I think is really important. And if you do it as a routine, 
you know, when I do those things in a row, my brain knows that it's time to start yeah. working. And I think that also ties into something that I did when I started working for myself, which was I created a, <laughs> it's a bit woo-woo, but I created a private Pinterest board because I'm a bit of a, more of a visual person of what I wish my ideal day looked like, my ideal work day. It looked great. It was, I was wearing awesome clothes. Uh, <laughs> I had like a sweet studio. Um, I had nice breakfast, like everything from the start of the day to the end of the day. And it looked vastly different to what my day actually looked like at the time. And maybe six months ago, I looked at it again because I was prepping for a talk and it pretty much mirrored what my day is now. Yeah. So as stupid as the word manifesting is. Gotta put it out there. It's better than the word I was thinking of, which is like vision board. Oh, vision board. (laughs) Um, As much as I hate that word, it makes a really big um, difference just having it in your head as something that you want to get to. Whether you realise you're doing it or not, often you just end up there and um, that's important, I think. Otherwise, you're just plodding along with no aims. I find it really, yeah, I find it really great that it, it happened I think organically might be the wrong word, but it but it happened without a clear no, no, that's right, sh- yeah. shift, you know, like you, you sort of did that almost as an aside, maybe it yeah. wasn't like fully like, I'm going to do this and it's going to work and yeah. I'm going to, you know, have a yacht by the end of the week, yeah. you know, but you, <laughs> maybe because I didn't have a yacht is why maybe, it was easier you know, to just delete the yacht, yeah, yeah. just get rid of those five schooners. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but it's sort of slowly manifested over time. And then you look back and you're like, oh, I'm actually, yeah. I'm actually there. Or yeah. I'm very, very close. Um, and which I think, is a pretty interesting process. I think something else that ties in with that, which is also why I work for myself, is figuring out what those personal values are. Yeah. Um, so my ideal day doesn't look like Kanye West's ideal day, obviously. You know, like my values are um, spending time with the people that I love, being in nature, not working myself to a bone, to the bone. Um, you know, the things that I value because I value them, I structured my day around them. And so it was, it's kind of a Hmm. combo pack. Yeah. It's like that idea of, yeah, I mean, work and life all together and you're designing your life essentially. Which I think a lot of the time, particularly when you go into a career, you don't really think about. Hmm. I was talking to some students last night at an event and they didn't really even know the general pros and cons of each kind of design job you know like an an agency job versus a studio versus in-house versus independent like what are the general pros and cons of those environments did this tend to be younger people yeah they were all mostly graduates yeah yeah yeah. and i think it's important to figure out which of those things aligns with your your values so if you really want to work for big clients and you want the like the awards then you obviously need to work for an agency you know but the downside of that is generally much longer hours more competitive nature things like that um if you know but and there's there's ups and downs to each of those jobs Mm. and it's important to kind of see which one fits your life it's about having that deliberate thought about you know i'm going to try this and i'm going to see how it goes and i'm deliberately doing it as opposed to more sort of falling into yeah yeah definitely so how did make nice come about then Make Nice came about, uh, I talked with a friend um, who was my co, then my co-founder at the time. Um, we were complaining a lot about 
coming back from America where we felt very supported when you would you would meet someone in your field and they would be really helpful and outgoing and they would give you contacts or numbers prices like they would introduce you to other people and they didn't feel threatened by your very existence um and I moved when I moved back from America I moved pretty straight from Brisbane to Sydney which was difficult I found it really difficult I you know had just worked for five years as a curator where my job was to talk to people all day Mm -hmm. um I'm introverted naturally but i i'm good at talking to people because i've practiced it a lot trained Um, trained extrovert trained extrovert (laughs) and i found it really difficult so imagine if you are an introvert that uh, is very nervous in public situations and um not outgoing and kind of meeting people it would just be impossible to create that network sydney is very clicky very competitive and I was just really angry about it because a lot of men kind of naturally create clubs, like groups of dudes that will go out for a beer because it's like a casual thing and it's built into the way that we're taught to socialise as, as men and, and women. Whereas women, not only are they not in that men's club, but they also, instead of creating a girls' club, compete with each other because they feel threatened about having that one piece of pie. Right. Um, which... I also definitely felt like I was taught growing up, you know, there can only be one woman at the top or there can only be one position for this. And in reality, that is not true. Um, You can't make a piece of pie. You can only make a pie. There's Mm. unlimited pieces of pie. A lot of people argue because it's Australia and it's smaller and it's a smaller pool and it's harder. Again, I don't think that's true. So... Also, I started teaching at UTS. 90% of my students were women. Yep. 90% of the content was male designers. Yep. Um, and people, students would actually ask me, well, can you tell me some female designers? Because I don't know any. Um, which is really sad because mm. you can't be what you can't see. And I wanted to create a community where we could learn about other women that were inspiring. Um, We could talk in an interdisciplinary sense because I think design is very design. Designers talking to designers about design. And um, I don't think that's actually particularly helpful. Obviously, there is a time and a place for that, but I want to talk to um, the set designer and the photographer and the copywriter and that's more likely to also generate work for you. Uh, without doing it in an icky kind of way. Uh, And also a place where I can ask someone if that rate is okay Um, because there's such so many taboo topics that you just can't bring up in conversation that make it even more difficult to to be a creative. And I just wanted a space for that, yeah. And why, and I'm going to be controversial here, but why could you not do that in a girl and guy kind of situation good question it was a big decision deciding whether it would be um female only or not but the situation that i kept that we kept coming back to was what if we were talking about harassment or pricing or confidence in the workplace and a woman came with her boss who was doing things like that in the workplace 
she has come to this, you know, quote unquote safe space to talk about these yep. things. It's certainly not safe. And can't. And I yep. know that that could happen if it was a female boss, but the statistics no, tell yep, me that that absolutely. generally isn't yep. the case. And also there was already a number of conferences where you could do that with men and women. Um, and we wanted, I wanted the speakers to be able to talk about things that maybe they wouldn't feel as comfortable talking to um, a more varied audience about. We had one speaker in the first year that um, literally posted a photo of her with her hands-free double breast pump at her work <laughs> in the first six months of having a child to show, like, this is the reality of, of what my life was and I can't talk... I don't feel comfortable talking about this at other events. Yeah. Things like that. Right. So... I think we made the right decision and in an ideal world someone would give me the money to do both <laughs> yeah. um, or someone else would create <laughs> right. an event yeah. that would do both. Um, but I, knowing what I know now about how Make Nice has, has helped other women, um, I think we made the right decision. Yeah. I think that makes perfect sense about the safe space sort of thing. Yeah. It gets rid of a whole uh, level of being careful about what you're talking about, I guess. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Um, so that, I think that makes perfect sense. It's more than just a conference event though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it started as a three-day conference because I'm in, insane and thought I would do that <laughs> uh, as a side project. Like, uh, yeah, just to jump in there, like the idea of um, being involved in some conferences and things like that, the idea of solo <laughs> running a three-day conference, especially the first time doing it, what is, is wrong with is me? pretty out there. Yeah. Um, Jumping so in the deep end once more. I just did a Creative Warnings talk and one of my tips was start before you're ready and Make Nice was like a ridiculous example of <laughs> start before you're ready. If I had known how much work it would be, it would not exist. So me being naive about how much work it required is the only reason why it exists, right. which is Great. Yeah. So three day conference as part of vivid ideas three years ago. Uh, and it's also a online community. We have a private Slack group that you can join if you sign up for our newsletter, if, if you're, a, if you're female identifying and in that Slack group, um, there is, you know, posts about job opportunities, about, um, events that are in your town, advice about pricing, um, mental health questions, uh, also like a lot of animated GIFs, which is great. Are those, it's not those, all are those the common sort of topics that come up in yeah, there? Yeah. Including questions? Like yes. From, yeah, okay. yeah, there's lots of questions about, especially if you're working for yourself or you're a junior and you're not confident in your workplace. Mm. Um, there was one recently that was uh, a woman was had to travel to India for a job with her work. They weren't going to pay her the whole time that she was over there because they said that she's getting a holiday even though she was working the whole time uh, in India. This is for an advertising company. Right. And I was like, is this is this legal? I don't know if this is okay or not because she was mm. quite junior. And I, I guess I could have seen as, as a young kind of designer, I would have taken that positive and not known. Uh, there's three or four creative lawyers in that in the Slack group. And they were like, nope, here's your email that you're writing to them. Um, this is how it works. These are the these are the rules. I recently asked, I haven't had to quote a day rate for a really long time because I usually project um, quote. And I kind of crowdsourced. I had no idea what 
a, a good day rate was or what a fair day rate was. Um, and I got maybe 40 different responses about what other people's day rates were so I could figure out where I sit within that. And I'm sure it would have been also anecdotal kind of things around that. It's oh, like, totally, oh, totally. You know, that you might not even ask in the initial question that someone else jumps in and says, yeah, I do the same thing as that person. Yeah. However, in this case, I do this. Just yeah. FYI. And lots of nice like, kind of oh, do you have a, does anyone have a, like a contract for a editorial illustration? Yeah. So you know, they don't have to pay someone to make one up and, mm. you know, or just to see yeah. if, just if mine weighs look, up to what yours. Each other yeah. And, yeah. 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 Um, and some of it's much less serious, but it's just nice, especially if you're working for yourself or you're working, um, in a remote area as well, where you yeah. can't go to events like, like we are lucky enough to be able to do in Sydney. Um, you know, you can go insane if you're working on your own and have no one to talk to. Yeah, um, so I frequently do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's why we do this podcast because yeah. <laughs> otherwise we just, yeah, we wouldn't talk to anybody. And then we have, we had uh, kind of original online interviews that uh, come up on our site regularly with women that we admire internationally. Um, we do, I've just finished, come back from America from a pop-up make nice that was within a larger conference. Oh, in, cool. Yeah, it was really fun in Santa Barbara. It was a photography um, conference, uh, but that was really nice not to have to organize the whole thing. Um, nice. Yeah, so there's lots of different outlets for it, but the, the base concept is to kind of create a, a supportive community mm. um, for creative women so that they feel like they can have the confidence to create the career they want. Yeah. Where did the name come from? Oh man, it was such a big document of like of oh, names, really? of potentials. It's, yeah, it's hard to be, you know, you don't want to be off-putting, you don't want to be rude, you also don't want to be girly. Make nice is kind of a play, like obviously it, it is it is women coming together to make nice, but it's also a bit of a um, kind of making fun of the fact that girls are told to make nice right. frequently, right. you know. And yeah, it's it's worked well so far. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's a re- it's a really good name. Thanks. So we went for a bit of a tour in Tassie together. Yes. With Eddie Zammett. Hello, yes. Eddie. Uh, when is the next one? Yeah, <laughs> it was good fun. And you know, we you spoke to some students down there, and we spent a lot of time in the car driving from yeah. Hobart to Launceston. And one of the co- uh, the kind of things we talked about there is you were feeling at that time that you wanted to put the illustration and the design work that you're doing probably in front of Make Nice. Yes. Just because you felt like that that needed to be the priority for a little while. Yeah. Can you talk more about that? Yes. I work really hard on Make Nice. It's not a financial gain. I, I don't get paid for Make Nice. It, it basically for the last two and a half years has been a full-time job on top of my full-time job. And I do it because I love it and I really believe in the ideas behind Make Nice. And obviously there is benefits for me. I get a nice little ego boost, you know, helping other people. Um, But it is essentially like a giant volunteer project. Um, And the point of that project is to tell women that they should take kind of control of their creative career and, and be doing what they want to be doing and giving them the tools to do that. And over the last two years... I now can't do that <laughs> because I'm helping other women do that. Yep. Some great irony going on there. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> I know. And I, I start, I'm starting to feel very um, 
oh god for lack of a better word inauthentic telling people telling women that they yep. should be doing this all the while get out I'm, there live your dream do as i yeah. say not as i do <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um so that's that has been hard and and i think saying no to projects that I want to be doing because I don't have time because of make nice has been really difficult. And it also, um, it's also, I also feel very selfish making decisions like that when I I really shouldn't be, it's just built into someone like me that if I, if I stop doing this project that I'm doing for like, no, you shouldn't ever be doing a project like that for free for so long and, and be um, compromising your, to be honest, health, mental health, work, yeah. you know, projects, um, relationships for that purpose. So trying to make the decision to prioritise what I need um, has been very difficult and something I'm still trying to figure out because in an ideal world, we'd have an amazing values aligned sponsor that would pay for me to hire someone to do yeah. The budgets the production and i could do the curating and the creative direction which is what i think i'm best at and it and it could still work the same way that it has been working but it's just not particularly sustainable mm-hmm. mm. do you feel that you became a bit of a or have become a bit of a figurehead for that yes. movement yes i do for better or worse yeah and i guess i'm interested in that kind of for better or for worse yeah. because i i was speaking at an event last night and um I said that I I don't get work anymore from a lot of companies that don't align with what I believe in. Because when I started Make Nice, I've been very blunt with what I believe in. Like I am openly a very strong feminist and will tell you that why that is the right kind of person to be in the most loving, respectful way possible. (laughs) Um, But there's things that I really believe in and talking about it, I thought would stop me getting work. I was really quite scared about that, particularly because a lot of, I think a lot of design personalities shy away from that. They'll talk about what, how important they think branding is to the world, but they won't talk about what values actually drive them. Mm-hmm. Um, so for better or worse, I decided to be an outspoken uh, trained extrovert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> There has been downsides to that, I'm sure, that I probably don't know. Um, but the, the upside is that the people that do work with me believe what I believe in. And know exactly where you stand. And know where I stand and, and, and never ask me to compromise on those things because before they even talk to me, they've surely Googled me and yeah. know what I'm about. Um, it also means that I pull people that like that kind of thing, that, that believe in what I believe in. So I pretty much only work with men and women that champion what I want to champion. So I I don't have to have those awkward conversations where I have to explain that I I don't want to work on X project because I have moral issues with Mm -hmm. it or, or, you know, something like that. So that's the upside. I'm sure there's a downside that I'm, I'm probably missing out on work. I'm sure some people think I'm an angry complaining uh, feminist. I'm not angry. It doesn't sound like you would want to work with those people in the first place. Yeah, though, right? exactly. So exactly. maybe it just kind of helps you cut through the yeah, and through the trees a little bit. And I think a lot of people are scared about that. And it's not like when I started Make Nice, I could have actually afforded to lose any clients. It's not like I was making enough money to be able to, mm-hmm. you know, say 
no thanks to any kind of work. So I was really nervous about it. Um, maybe it would have been easier if I was already very, very established and was getting enough work that I could afford to lose a heap of work. But it also made me a lot happier as a person. <laughs> um, so if I you would, find that kind of thing important. Yeah, like, yeah. If it's on your values, you know, <laughs> pyramid or whatever. Yeah. If it's on your Pinterest board anyway. Yeah, you know. exactly. <laughs> Is this the public Pinterest or the private, the private one? Yeah. They're always private. They're okay. always private. Yeah. <laughs> and do you, feel, do, you, do you feel positive for the future after three years of Make Nice? Or are you scared of the future? For In terms of perhaps equality and some of the issues that your community is talking about. And that you see, are we heading in the right direction or are we going backwards? Uh, I don't think I can answer that question on a whole, but what I can say is that I can see some pretty amazing women um, and men. Uh, my students that I just started teaching a week ago uh, for this semester at UTS are all really vibrant and engaged and they want to learn and they know about the things that I already want them to know about even you know seeing these children protesting like gun rights in america like right, it, it yeah. just i definitely cried uh looking at all of those those photos when that was happening um i think it, if you're having a bad day it can seem like the world is out to get you right. um and if you're having a good day you can always find things that really fill you with hope there's a great quote who I will need to maybe tell you who actually says this but my friend Brodie Lancaster told me this it's feminism is the realization that everything you love hates you and um <laughs> wow. figuring that out is actually quite depressing like a lot of the music that I listen to doesn't really you know if you listen to those lyrics or you see how those people act in real right. life you know things like that um movies that you love maybe aren't really you know things like that but um there's also really amazing people in the world that are making amazing art and design and, mm. and making positive change. So, I, You know, it, it's funny because obviously on the way to come and meet you, I was thinking about like all, all the stuff that you've done and, you know, how there's been some really, it feels like from my point of view that there's been some good moves forward uh, for awareness. And, and But then I was standing waiting for the train and there's a Calvin Klein ad, which I think has the Kardashians in them. Yeah. Which just, I love that you don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. But just, um, I just thought, like, looking at that, I was like, oh wow, we haven't really moved forward in some places. Yeah, it's it's hard because I am in a a pretty tight bubble. I don't, <laughs> you know, it's very tight. It's squishy in my bubble because I really hang out with people that agree with what I agree with. So sometimes you kind of go out into the real world and you get a bit scared. Um, but I don't really know how to fix that. Yeah. Is is there issues? And this is your question, I think. Finn, is there, is there issues that because of your work with Wake with Make Nice and and what you've been exposed to? Is there issues that the industry needs to be more aware of? Um, definitely. What I would say, based on um, what the community wants to hear about at the conference and in the online forums and things like that, um, they care about pay equity. They pay mm -hmm. care about um, negotiating fair and equal wages um they care about uh work environments that are flexible um and kind of welcoming for people that work differently or have children um yep. 
They care about uh, confidence and, and imposter syndrome and um, being confident in their work. They care about leadership and, and how to get into those leadership positions, which is notoriously difficult um, for women. Um, and what I, I would probably say as a sweeping generalization is that um, I think that Australia has a way to go in creating a diverse and interesting um, community and, and level of interest, not only in terms of the actual community and what, what they look like, um, but also what we, what we consider good design. I think that's quite narrow at the moment, um, particularly when you look at our award system and, and who gets to talk at, at conferences and things like that. And yep. I think the reality in Australia and what is reflected globally is that design is a lot more than what it's currently being kind of touted as in in Australia and it would be nice to see the reality of, of design in Australia and designers in Australia be reflected in, in media and, and events. Yeah. We're out of time, ladies no. and gentlemen. We are. Oh no. So thank you very much. Thanks for having us. No at worries. your place. Um, Anytime. Come for a swim next time. There's a pool? <laughs> the beach, mate. The oh, beach. Okay, <laughs> beach. So where would you like to point people um, on the Flint, internet? Flint doesn't like sand. So it's, it's coarse. Well, Clavelli's good because it's con- half of it's concrete. Oh, is it? You don't okay. need to go ever oh, on the like sand. That. I can just hang out on the concrete <laughs> yeah, you and watch you guys have in. fun on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> um, where can people find you other than the beach? Where can people find you online? Mostly um, at the beach, but <laughs> niopar.com, N-G-A-I-O, at nio underscore for Instagram and Twitter and make dash nice.com.au for all your creative women's community needs perfect fantastic mm-hmm. matt uh matt underscore leech <laughs> on instagram and you can find this episode and more at ausdesignradio.com and you can follow the show on twitter instagram and soundcloud at AUS Design Radio. shout out to Streamtime as well for making um, episodes like this possible keeping us on track and if you would like, we're going to keep the suggestions for other people that we can come and talk to yes. um, all the way around Australia. So wherever they are in Australia, um, feel free to suggest. And that's at streamtime.net slash ADR. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thank you. Yay. Thank you.